Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. I'm Emily Bowen and I work in recruitment Monday to Friday. And today on the show, we're talking about eight career fails you need to avoid. And so just to set the scene, Em and I have bought our own top four. So I'm bringing my top four career fails that I've made or that I've seen others make that they need to avoid. And Em, you've got yours. Yeah, and mine are all personal. So I'm probably going to be spilling a few beans here today. But, you know, after so many years, I've racked up a few and had to try and come up with what those top four might be. It was hard to come up with the top four. I had like this list of like 20 and then I started to try and prioritise them of Here's the big ones. And I'm glad you're going to bring the drama, bring the personal stories. It might turn into a counselling <laughs> session. We'll see how we go. But I know what you mean. As as soon as I started to jot down my ideas, I got on quite a roll. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, I need to stop because this is only a half hour episode ideally. So we'll see how we go. Awesome. We want to shout out to our show partner, Rarekind. Over 50 years of finding extraordinary people means Rarekind knows exactly what to look for. They find one-of-a-kind people, remarkable people, the kind of people who don't just fit into culture but help create it. If you want to find out more, head to rarekind.com.au. Well, I'll kick us off, Em. So, it is going to get deep. I've got this feeling we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, and look, I don't know about you, but mine are in no particular order. Okay, cool. Well, this one, I've put, well, I think I've ordered mine in order of um, priority. So there you go. Uh, okay, let's go there. Number one career fail for me was uh, prioritizing your job over your health. Okay. And so is this the point at which I go, oh my goodness, that's one of mine? Oh, or similar it? anyway. Okay. But you, you talk to me about your experience first. Okay, so. Prioritizing your job over your health and relationships is always a mistake. We've talked about this just over coffee, you and I, and one of the things that I did uh, earlier in my career was had pretty significant burnout. And so that lesson taught me that prioritizing a job is always over your own health, over your own well-being is always going to be a mistake because the fallout is significant and it was a time when have we talked about this on the podcast? I don't even know. No. So we do have an episode this season which is on burnout. Yes. And I guess that came at it from a slightly different angle. But we I think we should add it to the list to maybe, you know, talk a little bit more about our experiences because I think we've both been there where we've <laughs> used the B word and perhaps this is the first of a few more conversations to come. And yeah, well, so then let's go there. I was doing my master's and I just had um, my daughter, Sunny, and was studying full-time, working full-time, and she would have been under one. And she was waking up four times a night. And I remember I was just like, for this whole year of her first year of life, all I could think about in that time was I've just got to keep going. And I've just got to do this next assignment and keep going at work and doing all these things. And 
I just put my job and my career before my own health and really probably before my own family, which is a really hectic thing to say. And what ended up happening once I finished my study, it was like I barely made it across the finish line and got there and within, I don't know, six months, I it was like I hit the wall of finishing. And so I'd put this huge amount of pressure on my career and on my job and on succeeding at uni and had this really unrealistic expectation of grades and all this stuff. And it had a huge long-term cost to my own health. And I remember thinking after the fact, why did I do that? And you mentioned the word fallout. What did that look like? Well, yeah. So I ended up getting chronic fatigue. Yeah, right. And so that was, uh, it took me probably a couple of years to really fully recover. I had uh, ended up having to have three months off work. My boss was amazing. She was so supportive and beautiful. And I've obviously developed enough credit currency in the business to take that time off but it just it made me realize that you can push for a period of time and for me that was probably about three years of really pushing to finish that um, period of study but there's always going to be a fallout if you prioritize work over your own health and I think now I have more of a sustainability mindset which is the long game, got to, we have to play the long game. We're not in it for short-term wins. And so I would do that whole journey very differently. I would have probably paced it a bit differently. And I would have um, now, hindsight said, no, nothing is more important than my family and my health. Um, but it had to go through that pretty horrible experience to get to this place. And it's really changed my my perspective on career and life. But I would encourage anyone listening, if you are uh, solely focusing on your job and it's coming at the expense of your health, do a bit of a, a self-reflection process about that because the fallout can be significant, but it also can damage the long-term, you know, trajectory for you as well. So just thinking that through. And have you got one example of something that you do, like quite practical, that you do differently now because you've had that experience? A few things. I am much more careful with the time that I spend on work outside of work time. So I'm not like super strict. I I find if you, I find hard boundaries really um, don't align with kind of the way that I work, but I am much more diligent. If I have holidays, I'm off. Yeah. Okay. So I don't like to be on when I'm on holidays and I'm much more um, structured about that. And I make sure I have one day a week that's completely off. Amazing. So, and what benefit have you found in comparison to when you were in that 12 months? Well, when I was in that 12, I was on nonstop, I, like all the time. Mm. And then now I'm like, I have one day every week that's my day that work doesn't touch. Yeah. Okay. And so that is that kind of safety net of margin. Mm-hmm. So how do you create margin, which brings health and sustainability for me? Yeah. So you're a better person, I imagine, in your relationships. You're a nicer person I to know. be well, around. Ask my husband. He yeah. might, I'm sure he'll <laughs> tell you that I am. But that was my big lesson and that's gone deep straight up. So I'm yeah. going to throw to you. Cool. Okay. <laughs> What's your first thing? So my first career fail or the first one that I've listed, Shell, was spending time ruminating. So ruminating was a word that I wasn't familiar with until I read a book and that book is called How Women Rise. Now it's authored by uh, Marshall Goldsmith and Sally Helgeson. So I highly recommend going to read, going and reading it, uh, particularly if you're a female, but I think it could probably apply to anybody. Let's not um, limit ourselves from learning. Now the word ruminating, it's interesting because in this book, so it basically goes through, I believe it's 10 things. So 10 chapters, each one reflecting on, well, what 
are those things that hold women back so from progressing in their career. So, for example, one of the chapters that really resonated with me at the time was this idea of, yeah, it's really healthy to reflect. So if things happen in your life, happen in your career, learn from them. But that reflection can reach a point where it's no longer useful to you. It's no longer providing value. And that's where it reaches the rumination zone. And it's basically the way I would put it in my own words was I was beating myself up. So I was telling myself that I was reflecting and I was convincing myself that going deep and I guess intense on thinking about an experience was useful to me because I'm learning from it. But in reality, I was actually just giving myself way too hard a time. What, what sort of stuff would you be ruminating on? Oh, okay, anything. Um, the tiniest little things. So it might be one sentence that came out of my mouth in one conversation that day. And, you know, in my role, I'm having a lot of conversations. So in the scheme of things, that was pretty minor, but I could find myself obsessing over that. How do you stop obsessing about those things? Because I've done this as well of like really overanalyzing certain things that I do in a meeting. Or yeah, overanalyzing think- is another good way to put it. So, so what, how do you actually cut that little cycle? It's perhaps going to be different for everybody. I think for me, it started with that awareness that was raised through reading that, that book and, and in particular that chapter. So I must admit when I read that book, there are a number of chapters, particularly early on, that I'm just thinking, ah, don't know that that's me, don't know that that's me, don't know that that's really hitting home. And then I made it to this particular chapter and it just struck a chord. And so from that moment, I guess I had that language or that, you know, word ruminating and that awareness. And I spoke to my boss. So I actually turned up at work and was able to say, oh my goodness, I've just, you know, had this moment of clarity where I've realized that that thing I do that you see me do and that you've pulled me up on, this is how I would describe it. And I think, you know, the the book did a good job of sort of holding a mirror up for me. And so from there, it was practice. It was just mindset. And it was having that moment of recognition in myself or at times having that person, my boss, sort of hearing me speak and say, you've crossed the line, you've moved into rumination zone, you need to let it go. And over time, changing my habit. And it's almost the self-compassion to go, you know, you might have said something in a meeting that wasn't your best moment, but it's going, oh, crap, I did that okay, I'm not going to do that again. Now I'm moving on. Yeah, you've thought about it enough. You know that it wasn't your best, but thinking about it and overanalyzing it and beating yourself up for longer, you're actually not serving any good purpose. It's like, do not circle back to this. Totally. Stop circling back. Stop, stop waste, Yeah, wasting <laughs> energy and like headspace. So it's just been a practice, I believe, like a mental and emotional practice over a long period of time, years, where I feel like it's much more natural to me now. I still, you know, have those dips, but it's certainly not as consistent, uh, but practice. All right. So stop ruminating. I need to take note of that. <laughs> well, you can go read that book. I think I have recommended you it to you before. You have recommended because you've seen me do that <laughs> rumination journey. Okay. My number two, we're going to see how similar we are. Mm. <laughs> um, my number two, and this is a mistake I've seen in others so a fail I've seen others do I don't think that I think I've learned from that and therefore haven't done this diversify your portfolio oh so fancy what do you mean so if you've ever listened to my millennial money you'll hear uh Glenn and John the host of that podcast talk about 
diversifying, why you need to diversify your investment portfolio. Well, in your career, I believe it's equally as important to diversify. So one of the things we see, and I've seen um, a lot over my years in HR, has been people who stick to one single career or one single kind of focus. So let's say that focus is in uh, customer service and they go really deep in that and they don't expand from there. So they don't start to broaden their experience set. And what happens is, for example, one of the things that I saw for a particular person was that they ended up being made redundant in their role and they really only focused on one skill set. And what happened was they hadn't diversified their experience. They'd really put all their eggs in one basket. And the market, the job market at the time was not great. And so they didn't have a lot of opportunity because they hadn't created more of a portfolio, so more breadth. Now, it is important to specialise, of course. I was about to say, I'm sitting here going, oh, you know, do we challenge this idea? Because we also hear often that to appeal to a particular customer base and and sometimes we like to think of our customer as being our employer or our next employer. To appeal to those, we actually want to be seen as really credibly – you know, specialist in something. That's right. And so I think what I'm getting at is where someone becomes super reliant and I should probably make this a little bit clearer. So in this example that I'm thinking of, that person became really reliant on this one employer and they hadn't really broadened out the opportunity. So they weren't thinking, how do I create more opportunities? How do I create more experience? How do I build more and diversify? So what had ended up happening is they didn't have a solid network. They didn't have solid um, experience in other industries or anything. That meant when they were made redundant, the shock of it really paralyzed them and meant that it was very difficult to get new opportunities. And so for me, I'm thinking, how do I have things on the side that increase my experience, that increase my knowledge. So this podcast, for example, is that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You and I have both, we've got full-time jobs doing other stuff, but we tacked this thing onto the side, which has been a lot of work. Yep. But Not amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and we and well, it's a lot of work, but it's because we love it. And yeah. it also gives us experience and knowledge. And that's us diversifying our experience and skill set and creating more opportunities. So how can you do that in your career so that you don't have those moments where you get stuck? So if I can pick up on two things there. One uh just quickly would be yes, we've we've diversified by adding onto a full-time job, the podcast. But I think the key uh, I want to point out is it's still in the same realm. So it's like our full-time jobs are in HR and recruitment. This is still related to that world. For me personally, it's brought with it though, diversification of my skill set through communication. Like I've upskilled in my communication and and different communication, like a whole different media to sitting in a meeting which is more what my day job in HR brings. Uh, so I think that's an important – like we're not and necessarily talking or you're not necessarily talking, Shell, about, okay, you're in customer service, also go and learn about robotics. Yeah, I'm talking about how do you create opportunity? How do you yeah. diversify your opportunities? So I'm not going to be full-time and only focus on this one gig and put it's the it's the classic example of putting all your eggs in one mm-hmm, basket. Mm-hmm. How do you have a couple of baskets? Yep, nice. A couple of things that you've got going on. And the second thing I'd love to pick up on and just I guess tease out 
which I don't want to take you too far away from your point, but I think it's so relevant, is that network piece. Mm. So you mentioned the word networking. And for me, part of diversifying absolutely is skills, but part of creating that safety net also comes from just broadening your network. So if you are that person that loses their job unexpectedly, sure, your skill set might be limited. Um, We all have limits. But the more people that you can go out to and say, hey, this has just happened to me. Here is all the value I can add. Can you help? That's exactly it. I'm thinking about how when you only have network in your own current employer. So let's say all my network are just the people I work with every day. Well, when you leave that job, something weird happens. I don't know if you've seen this where people sometimes get like, it's like they get cut off or excommunicated. Yeah. And so they don't, they lose that network and then it's like, well, what now? Mm. Whereas what exactly what you're saying is diversify your network as well. Mm-hmm. Don't just have all the people that you're connected to for opportunity in your current job. Yep. Look outside of that, get broader. So yes, specialize in your skill. We need to do that, but diversify in order to create more yep. opportunity. So diversify how you're applying it, diversify where you're applying it, diversify who you're talking to about it. Exactly. Awesome. All right. All right. My number two. So this one for me, I'm going to call it not taking time out to recharge properly. So perhaps harps a little bit uh, to your first one, Shell, but I guess if I can put my own experience into my story and and my own spin on it, one of the things that I learnt with hindsight uh, or I learnt, you know, I guess through experience a little bit after the fact was when I transitioned from being an individual contributor or an employee in a team to being a leader. And in particular, uh, you might already know this about me, I'm like a major introvert and I'm more of an introvert than anyone realises because in my role, whether it's internally with our, our team or it's externally with clients, I show up and... Oh, I don't know. It's, I wish it's, you could see me because my <laughs> smile is like outrageous because M, M seems like the way you interact with people because you could just fool everyone that you're this massive extrovert because yeah. so, you're so good with people. I'm not shy. You're not shy. I'm happy if you stick me up on a stage. Like it's fine. But what happens to me is my energy levels, <laughs> like after that moment, even after today, you know, we're going to do this recording today. I love you, Shell. And, you know, it's only one person, but this is going to sap my energy more than um, some other activities. Uh, And I love it. But what it means is I need to recharge afterwards. And so I've really learned about myself that what brings me energy and what drains my energy. And I remember when when I was, I guess, just responsible for myself. So when I was an individual contributor, I know we don't love that term, but I think it, it makes sense in this story. I used to have this thing that I would say to my partner at the time or to my family and friends, which was, I just need... Once a week, I just need a bit of Emily time. Like I just need some time on my own. And that could look like a few different things. And that one block of time a week was enough to get me through. When I became a leader, I didn't realise until a bit of time had passed. But that one block of time was not enough. It actually made more sense rather than having a few hours on a Sunday to recharge me. I actually needed to have shorter bursts of my own time pretty much every day. And what that allowed me to do was at the end of a day where I'd felt like I'd given myself to more people more often, now I was in this leadership role, it allowed me to just top that back up and be ready for the next day. So for me, when I say um, not giving myself enough time to, or not recharging properly, 
it was actually about adapting over time to my changing circumstances, to my changing context, applying what I already knew about myself, but just adjusting to suit. You said this really interesting thing about using the podcast as an example, and you're like, I love doing this, Mm. but it drains me. And that's such an important identification. Just because you love something doesn't mean it energizes you. Totally. And just because it drains you doesn't mean you should stop doing it. And it's just finding out and having the ability to reflect on who you are as a person and go, okay, reflect, not ruminate. Yes. <laughs> on who you are as a person and, and understand, oh, this thing is great. I, I really enjoy it. But afterwards I feel a little bit depleted. And that means that I need to be proactive in finding those moments to replenish or refill what's been drained. Yeah. And this is difficult when you've got friends, when you've got family, when you've got commitment and responsibility. But with, again, that awareness, you can build it in. And sometimes you'll do it textbook perfect and other times it won't quite work that well. But for example, if I know that I've got this coming up, I'll look and go, okay, so when on that afternoon we're recording this in the morning. Can I see my psychologist? Yeah. I'm just talking to Shelly. How quickly can I get into my therapist? Yeah, decompress. (laughs) Uh, But it's not quite that intense today. But, um, yeah, it's like, okay, so what does the rest of my Monday look like? I'm, you know, I'm doing that Monday morning. What does the rest of my Monday look like? How am I going to feel at the end of that day? You know, there are times when I would go straight out of a few hours of recording into some meetings for my day job. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm probably going to be pretty drained that night. So what does that night look like? I better not top it up with a networking event or a dinner with a friend as well. I'm pretty, uh, actually, funnily enough, um, for example, I don't tend to do a lot of dinners with friends during the week because at the end of each day, I just, I might have it in me once, but that will quickly catch up with me. So I'm better off saving those for the weekend. Little tweaks like that that you can make. And my experience is the older we all get, the more everyone else, you know, is really respectful of that because we all have our own version. Okay. So my number three, the fail to avoid is working for a boss that doesn't want you to succeed beyond them. Oh, juicy. Mm, Juicy. This is a problem. Okay. And I'll tell you why. If you're working for a boss that doesn't want you to go further than them, you're going to be limited by what their experience is, by what they can do. You're going to be um, constrained, I think. And one of the beautiful things I see with really strong leaders is they see something in you and they want to help you go further, even further than them. And it might be in a different industry, it might be in a different job or career, but they see your potential and they say, Em, how can I help you go further? Yep, they're not threatened by your capability or your success they see it as actually something that could boost them boost the the company that you guys are working for I once actually um was told by a boss uh, when I first started hiring people for my own team you should be looking for someone that is smarter than you like you should always be trying to employ someone that's smarter than you and I've heard a similar variation which is like someone who is smarter better and more fun than you And that would make for a really good team. Yeah. And if you look around at your team and you see that everyone on the team is limited by the boss, as in the boss is taking credit for things that you're doing, they're not promoting you for opportunities that might increase your kind of visibility in the business or give you further um, kind of career progression, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. And it's a career fail. If you're working for someone who 
really doesn't want the best for you, I guess that's what it comes down to, then there are going to be problems and you're going to limit your own progression. And so how, I'm not saying immediately jump out because you obviously need to source the next opportunity, but know that don't stay working for someone long-term that's like that. Have you had that experience? I have. Yeah. And it's far out. It's so painful. Mm. It's really because what happens, and I've seen this so many times, Em, for other people that have worked under a boss who is threatened by them or they don't want them to succeed, is it starts to undermine that person, your own confidence. Mm-hmm. Because you're not getting the growth opportunities. You're not getting the opportunities to um, increase in your own skill and and ability. And therefore, your confidence starts to get squashed. I'm at the point now where if I am going to change jobs, if I'm going to seek out a new opportunity, it becomes critical who the leader is. That becomes one of my main decision points, not how good this culture is, because the culture is dependent on the leader. So career fail is is staying for a boss who doesn't want you to succeed. I feel like it's a perfect moment to mention we did an episode last season called Good Boss, Bi- Good Boss Bad Boss. Uh, that's a tongue twister. And I think that that would be an important listen if this fail has resonated with you at all. The reason being that you can still have a bad boss who can present growth opportunities. So that will make more sense when you listen to the episode. But I guess in summary, what I mean by that is sometimes working for a bad boss for a period of time can actually allow you clarity of, well, what does that look like? But also how can I hone my skills to deal with challenging people because they're all around us all the time. Uh, And there's a difference between a bad boss that fits in a few other categories versus someone who is going to hinder your growth in the way that you're describing, Shell. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, my number three. So the fail that I have uh, to share is putting company success before my own. And I guess I get a little bit like, oh, because as I said early on, you know, mine have all come from my own experience. And um, who knows who's listening to this, but that's okay. Uh, So what I mean by this is something that I'm still trying to overcome personally is I do put a lot of energy into my work. And I've, I've observed over the years that 
I can then end up having not a lot of fuel left in the tank for my own life admin. And that can be anything from cleaning out my wardrobe to getting a will sorted to, you know, doing my budget, whatever it might be. Uh, I find that sometimes through the week and particularly where you're working some of those extra hours, I know I'm not alone, uh, you can actually end up feeling quite like, oh, I don't want to spend any more time in front of my laptop. I don't, you know, I just want to sit on the lounge and like chill out in front of Netflix and, and I don't have a lot to give, you know, those other things that maybe would serve me personally. Um, you mentioned relationships when we talked about burnout. That's another thing. It's like, am I giving too much to the to the job that I'm doing, to the career, to the company that I'm working for and sacrificing other things that actually I need to make sure I'm giving some love to as well. So that has been, that's my number three and that has been something that I'm, I've definitely, I've reflected on but I'm still trying to nail, just finding that balance. And the interesting thing with that is, if you prioritise the company success over your own, they'll start to expect that. Oh, yeah. The absolutely. expectations you create by, through your own behaviour, well, that becomes the norm. So when you try to correct it later on and start to rein it back in, which I know both of us have had to do in our own careers where we try to kind of compensate for maybe um, giving too much, is that can become a problem. Yeah, and I think there are periods of time where – you know, for me, balance, whether you want to call it this career versus personal or company versus personal, or you want to call it work, life, balance, for me, that's never meant I spend equal amounts of time or energy on a particular day or week or month on those two things. What it does mean is is that if I was to look back at, say, a longer period of time, like a year, have the ebbs and flows evened out. And all in all, maybe I had a really massive month where I was just all in on company priorities. But maybe I also had another month where I took my foot off the pedal a little bit, totally leveraged the amazing flexibility that I'm offered and went, yeah, I'm going to go get those appointments done. And, you know, if you were to look at the clock, it's it's work time. But I, I know that I, you know, I, I can do that and I know that those ebbs and flows will even out over time. But it's so hard and course correcting is such a nice way to put this idea of sometimes you go too far one way and you're like, whoop, need to bring it back. Whoop, I was neglecting that thing. Um, you know, it can show up in your diet. It can show up in your, your activity levels from a health point of view and fitness. Um, but for me, I'm still really working on that. And I guess, you know, after spending an amount of time pretty focused on, on company successes and company goals and seeing some of those other things slip, it's, it's certainly a focus for me this year, but I, I'm not sure I'll ever perfect it. And I should uh, – it's probably important uh, for our listeners to know where you're coming from in that because what we're not saying is you like only focus on your success at the expense of the company. No. It's, it's about who uh, – you as a person – like prioritise company success at your own cost all the, have, and have done that for many, many mm. years. I Can I say that? Yeah, that totally. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm, well, I think it's knowing the context of who you are and going that's a, a correction and, and I know enough about you to know you're always going to lean towards prioritising company wins over your own. And so it's working out what we're, what we're not saying is uh, only focus on your success because as you focus on company wins, your career actually grows. Yeah. But it's making sure that the flow, which I love that word that you used in the ebbs and flows, the flow of it is right-sized. That's right. And if because my career, which is where the company is relevant that I work for at the moment, 
is only one part of my life, it's like, okay, if that was, if that disappeared for whatever reason, if that disappeared, have I got my other housekeeping in order? Have I made sure that I've also looked after those things that are personal to me? And you know, it usually is. I mean, part of this is probably the fact that I go, oh, doing a will, that's boring. Much prefer that to is work. boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much prefer to work on this fun, you know, marketing project over here or HR project or whatever it might be that I've got going on. And that's really, you know, that's quite exciting. So I think there's a bit of personal discipline in this as well to make sure that that I'm not I guess, repeating the same mistakes that I look back at other years and go, oh, you didn't tick that thing off your life admin to-do list in the last 12 months, even though you told yourself you would. So yeah, it's for me, that's been something that's it's continued to be a work in progress, but I think it was important to mention today. Absolutely. All right. This is my last one. My number four was making decisions out of fear. Oh, wow. You were bringing like some <laughs> fail bangers. <laughs> Well, I've had heaps of fails and I've observed other people's fails. So this whole purpose of this podcast today is listen to our fails or the ones we've seen and learn from them without having to do them. Right? Yeah. And Shell did just show me her list and like, <laughs> like- it is long <laughs> and you know, I could easily do the same. So I think the other thing that we should say before we do wrap this up with our finals is this is just four uh, each. It, it is not an exhaustive list and by no means, uh, I mean, if we sort of, Fast forward another 12 months or 10 years of our career. Oh, probably Hundreds. Yeah. There'll be hundreds of mistakes. Maybe we need to do a part two. So my fourth was making decisions. Oh, did I already say that? You did, but let's repeat it for clarity. Number four, making decisions out of fear. This has been such a big one for me. And it's been a journey, particularly over the last 18 months. I love our body language this whole episode. <laughs> we get very like talk with our hands. I know. You can see us. We're very expressive. I have been proud of myself over the last six months and I don't often reflect back and, and celebrate. So I've, that could be another. Um, oh yeah. I'm just thinking, oh, I hadn't jotted that one down, but I'm really bad at that. Yeah. Okay. You are. Anyway. You're, you're like, I think yeah, I would bad, but you you're that. particular. you know, it's an area of growth for you. Thank <laughs> you. No, I appreciate it. Anyway, back to you. Um, I've been celebrating the bold decisions, the decisions that I've been making where, oh, I feel like I'm quite fearful about this or this career decision is riddled with some anxiety or nervousness. And in those moments, I've learned and through the help of uh, some really amazing mentors as well, that people who are saying to me, back yourself, just back yourself. And that has been so helpful in my career, but also in learning, I don't want fear to drive my decision-making. I don't want to get to this point where I'm stuck in a job, or I'm stuck in an industry, or I'm stuck in a career because I'm fearful of change. Have you, can you tell us about the shift? So was there something that happened? Was it series of things that happened? Was it progression? Was it that episode that I'm really referring back to a lot of episodes today, but we did an episode uh, on fear, which I know such you a good loved episode. in the book I that went book. with it. And that I know you talked a lot about, but talk us through that process. What I started to see in myself was my confidence. And I can't really think of why this was. And so could take this to my psychologist, maybe. Um, I'll just keep asking. <laughs> and why do you think that was? Yeah, we'll get And what it. makes you say that? <laughs> and where do you feel like that came from? No wonder you drained after these episodes. <laughs> um, I started to see that a lot of my decisions were because I was afraid of failing. And 
it, the irony of that is that's a career fail. If I'm only making decisions because I'm afraid of failure, well, that's a fail in and of itself. And what really snapped me out of these fear-based decisions was, yes, that book, The Loudest Guest by Dr. Amy Silver, was amazing for me. But also one of my beautiful mentors, she's my old boss, she just kept saying to me on repeat, back yourself, back yourself. And I kept thinking, why is she saying that to me? (laughs) Why does she keep saying that? And then at one point I just listened and she's like, you need to back yourself. You have what it takes. And that was the moment where I went, yep, screw it. And sometimes after you do hear, particularly from someone you really trust, you hear that message a number of times or you hear it from a few different places. You read it in a book. You listen to it on a podcast. You have your mentor telling you, back yourself. I feel like speaking of voices in your head, you know, the voice changes to why am I not backing myself? Like you start to not even understand why you haven't been and you don't have a very good answer for that when you really stop and think about it. And really became for me this thing of I want to trust my gut mm. I think I've got really good intuition I've learned that over the years like I'm I'm an intuitive kind of leader and and person and so I'm intuitive for other people I really help coach them in what they want to do in their career or life but for myself I wasn't doing that and I was like I'm going to trust my gut I'm going to back myself instead of allowing fear to rule my decision-making. A little bit of a take your own advice moment. Exactly. Like what would you tell you, you if it was a friend that you were speaking to? And so for this year, um, Sam, my husband, he said this year is the year of us being bold together, of making <gasps> big steps. What an empowering. I know. A, he's such a <laughs> he's, sweetheart. He's beautiful. He is beautiful. But he's like, this is, our, this is a year to be bold. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take that on and really own that. And when other people can see something in you that you're not seeing and trusted voices, like you said, listen, listen mm. to those voices. And that's what I'm doing this year. I've done my four. Yeah, my final turn. So number four for me, this is one that it's again, been a journey. Uh, journey is a bit of a cringe word, but it really has. And it's taken... Uh, feedback from other people as well as a healthy level of reflection and something that I really failed at and a mistake that I made repeatedly over particularly the first um, part of my career was not showing up in a personal way at work but just showing up in a professional way. So again a little insight into me I'm naturally a really uh, a quite a private person and I think it's taken um, again, some feedback to have or experiences to have, you know, the level of recognition for that that I now do. I don't share a lot. I, I you know, somehow have this uh, superpower which gets other people talking about themselves. Which you do have that superpower. <laughs> it's amazing. And, yeah, like it can be amazing. And as a recruiter, I probably really played into that and really honed that skill. But then I started to use it in, you know, not only work but personal situations as well but perhaps not to my advantage. To deflect? Probably. I mean, depends how deep we want to get. And I don't even know if <laughs> I have self-diagnosed yet. But it is – they say people love talking about themselves. I don't. I, I love listening to other people. I love learning. I um, am really curious. And I find it much easier to be the person that's asking questions. And – So a couple of things are at play there where what was happening over the course of my career and building in particular building relationships at work is I was showing up with this real, we're here to do a job 
we're here to work and we're just, you know, going to chuck the professional hat on and we're going to get it done. And what I missed was the opportunity and the importance of actually asking people how their weekend was. Really, you know, I did absolutely care, but I was just in a different mode on that Monday morning. And I had a, you know, a workload that meant that I felt, it was probably somewhat stress-driven. I felt like from when we're on, I just need to start climbing this mountain, eating this elephant and, you know, whoever's around me, let's just get on with it. Um, But at the detriment of building those relationships and building those, you know, deeper connections with people. And we've heard it all before when you're spending that much time at work, it's so important that you do have that that deeper connection, that more relationship-based connection, that personal connection with the people around you. Would you say that's bringing your whole self to work, Em? Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to put it. Uh, I think different people have different versions of that and you've got to find where your comfort zone is and and just because you don't – it doesn't mean you have to share everything. I think it's, you know, for me personally and and I encourage other people to have different beliefs um, because I feel like this is something that is quite unique to the individual – for me personally, there's absolutely still things that I would share with a friend that I wouldn't share with a colleague. But that's more to do with me and my choice. I'm totally comfortable if someone else wants to turn up and, and share details that I wouldn't and, you know, I want to listen to them and care about them. So I think you still find your own place um, of comfort but certainly not being a robot um, at work is really quite important and I've I've learned that. And, you know, you have those out of comfort. I had to have those out of comfort zone moments for the greater good because I did really believe in learning, well, how to soften and how to actually take the time to get to know people on on a different level, not just on a work-based level. What were some of those out of comfort zone moments? Oh, this is going to sound so silly to anyone listening, um, but it was as simple as I've got this, you know, deadline that's causing me stress or I've got this workload that's causing me stress And I need to actually put that to the side and spend the next half an hour going for a wander, getting a coffee and asking someone how their weekend was before I come back and keep doing that work. So it was actually the stress that, you know, that was out of comfort zone for me because the stress would be building internally because the work is not getting done right now. And yet I'm here, you know, how was your weekend? And, and, and not only how was your weekend, but sharing how my weekend was. So the secondary com- out of comfort zone experience that comes to mind is believing that someone else actually wants to listen to how my weekend was and, and sharing and trusting that. And would, was it allowing people into that space as well? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's, uh, you see it a lot, actually. One of the things I've found interesting is when people have if you think about this analogy of they have their work wardrobe and their personal wardrobe. Oh, yes. So I don't do that because I'm like, I don't, I want to be who I am at work. So I stopped a couple of years ago, probably about five years ago, having two separate wardrobes. I'm like, who I am is who I am and I'm going to show up as that. Yeah. And I'm going to do it in a visual way that affects how I think about myself and how I see myself. But I've interacted with people over the years that are like, no, I have two separate wardrobes so I can signal to myself when I'm on and when I'm off. Mm. And that's totally fine. I understand that. For me, I I did that to show I'm not going to put on a facade at work. I'm not going to be the robot. I'm going to be me. I'm effective. I'm productive, but I'm still me. Yeah. And I think finding out who, who you are and bringing that whole self to work 
is a really important part of building meaningful relationships. And I'm probably extending this now a little bit beyond the core of of the fail that I was talking about, but it's still a mistake that I learned from. And that is, you know, again, if I, if I reflect on, well, what does it mean to be an introvert? Often, typically for introverts, we don't like small talk. So for us, the how was your weekend? You dread that. Oh, it's like, I want to have a deep conversation. I want to have a more meaningful conversation. And so it didn't necessarily bring me the value to stop what I was doing and, and do that small talk or at the beginning of a meeting to actually spend time on small talk. But what I also have learned over time and through researching what it means to be an introvert uh, and to better, you know, through understanding, trying to understand what other people need is that, you know, whether an extrovert or, or not, there are other people in the world who they really value that time. That is so meaningful to them. And so it's not just about me. It's actually about me showing the other person that I've got the time for them and, and they value being asked, how was your weekend? It's interesting that all of our fails seem to have come out of this space of knowing ourselves and figuring it out. So you do, you absolutely will have career fails. Look at them with this lens of how do I learn from them? How do I understand more about myself? Like, Em, you've understood that you are an introvert and therefore some of these things come out of that. And then working through, well, how do I want to show up at work? How do I want to bring my whole self to work? And our goal out of this episode is that from the eight fails compiled that you will learn from our mistakes or from the mistakes we've seen in the workplace and be able to take that but also have a think about what areas for you that you've failed and what you can take away from that. Absolutely. And I wish that we could continue to talk because even as I've been getting my head back into this zone of things that I've learned over the years through experience, uh, I'm just, yeah, I could sit and rattle them off for days. Totally. All right. Well, hey, thanks for hanging out. We'd love if you can share the episode with your friends. And if you're listening, please follow, rate, review. We love your feedback. Thanks heaps for hanging out. Yeah. Thanks, Shell. Thanks, guys. Talk to you again soon. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.